0: Welcome, and thank you for listening to Grace Heritage Church Audio, building a household of faith on a foundation of grace. Visit us online at graceheritage.org. Please stay tuned after the message for more information. Thank you. Good morning, and welcome to Grace Heritage Church. Our pastor's away, as most of you know. Pastor Paul will be back on Tuesday, I believe. He is in Brazil. Uh, And we have good news this morning from the Reeves family. Uh, Barrett Campbell was born last night at 745, so we give praise for that, and mom and baby are fine. And let's see, eight pounds, eight ounces, and 21 inches for the statisticians among us. Um, Everyone's doing fine, and and Debbie's uh, doing well as well. The ladies' Bible study will meet this coming Wednesday at 6.30 at the Goods House, and there'll be a guest speaker uh, this week, so you want to talk to... Sue Ellen about that, and if you're visiting us this morning, I encourage you to look at the back of your bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin, Brother Tom there will be happy to get you one. There's a little tear-off page here. If you'd be so gracious as to fill that out, let us know you were here. We'd appreciate that. If you have a prayer need or something there, we will um, be happy to address that. The men will meet for prayer, as uh, always, on Wednesday at 6.30. And finally, students, if you have not updated the uh, church roster with your new address, there's a sign-up sheet on the back of the board over there, the missionary board, that'll have a a place for you to do that. So please let us know uh, where you are so we can get our mailing list updated and all of that. If you would rise, we'll read our opening scripture for the morning. Psalm 115, verses 1 through 11. It's printed on the front of your bulletin, or you're welcome to follow us in the scriptures as well. Hear the reading of God's word. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord... Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield.
1: Right, if y'all join us the singing from the ends of the earth. of the earth to the depths of the sea from the heights of the heavens your name be praised from the hearts of the weak to the shouts of the strong from the lips of all people This song we raise, Lord, throughout the endless ages, you will be crowned. Of the sea, from the heights of all heaven, your name be praise from the hearts of the weak to the shouts of the strong, from the lips of all people, the song.
0: let's pray. Our Father, we are cognizant and mindful of the distinction between a creator and his creatures, and we acknowledge this morning, O Father, that we are but creatures approaching our great maker and creator God. And we thank you, O Father, for the privilege of worship. We know that praise is an acknowledgement of our position, which is lowly um, before you, And we give you thanks for the privilege of um, being able to approach you with praise and prayer this morning. Father, and this does set the context for worship, for our job this morning is to ascribe to you all of your majesty and character and to reflect upon it and to be humbled by it. And we do extol you all this morning um, for all of your kindness to us, for your graciousness, for the fact that you have given us the heavens and the oceans and And the land and everything uh, that is the creation, Father, we give you praise for this this morning. Lord, might you be pleased with the worship of your creatures, your servants, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Please remain standing.
1: Okay, we'll be singing God Moves. God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform, He plants His footsteps in the sea, and rides upon the storm. All his pride Fresh courage take The clouds that you now dread Are big with mercy and will break All blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense But trust Him for His grace Smiling face. So, God, we trust in you. So, God, we trust in you. When tears are great. God's purposes will rise.
0: please be seated. Because we are creatures and not our own creators, uh, we're bound to accept every word that God has given to us. And he's been gracious enough to give us uh, his word in the scriptures. And those very scriptures declare uh, his law. And as we measure ourselves against the uh, that law. We see our, our condition, which is that of sinners by nature and by act. And so we're also mindful of the fact that we can't commune with God if we're um, harboring sin in our hearts. So we take a time each Lord's Day to pause and reflect on uh, our own hearts and to get right with the Lord through confession and repentance. And I urge you to do that now as we take a time of silent prayer. Father, if we were perfectly able to do this task of self-examination, we would be literally undone. And we pray that by the aid of the Spirit, we might know and confess and repent of all of the sins, Lord, that we cherish in our hearts. And I pray that you would keep us from temptation, even in this hour, in this coming week, as we... uh, battle and strive against sin, the world and the devil, and our own flesh. And, Father, left to our own strength, uh, we, we would be without hope. And so we thank you for the gospel of Christ, which is offered to us, Lord, that you have given us Jesus to die on the cross for us, that we might have life, that we might escape the eternal penalty of sin, but also the very present reality of of the power and dominion of sin, Lord, and and by grace this morning we claim power over um, the sins which do war against us and beset us, and we look to Jesus for power and strength and hope and forgiveness where we have failed. Oh, Father, we ask that you would uh, rejuvenate, refresh, and cleanse us this morning as we come uh, to you in your presence and as we worship. Oh, Father, give us clean and pure hearts, that uh, you might be pleased with the offering of praise and worship we bring you this morning. We thank you for the gospel and uh, the hope that it gives to us. And we pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen. 1 Peter 2, verses 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds You have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Please rise.
1: Our sins and so his grace was more unbounded, his helping love, no, then it knows your utmost need. It sounded our kind and faithful shepherd, he who will set all his people free from all the sins. Sorrow, only by grace, by grace.
2: Our scripture reading today is in Isaiah, chapter 63. And uh, just remind you, Isaiah is a big book, a little bit to the right of the center of the Bible. So if you find Psalms and Proverbs, just go to the right a a few books. It's a big book there. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Isaiah, chapter 63. And we'll begin in verse 15 and read through 64 verse 12 and as we read this uh, you might see uh, the prophet Uh, and if you're not real familiar with scripture it might surprise you but in some respects the prophet is challenging god but not because of course he has anything against god it's good for us to be reminded ourselves that God will keep his promises. And that's what this is all about. The, the prophet is reminding the people and himself of God's promises, beginning in verse sixty three fifteen. Look down from heaven and see your holy and glorious habitation. Where are your zeal and your mighty deeds? The stirrings of your heart and your compassion are restrained toward me. For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not recognize us. You, O Lord, are our father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. Why, O Lord, do you cause us to stray from your ways and harden your heart from fearing you? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people possessed your sanctuary for a little while, Our adversaries have trodden it down. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who were not called by your name. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble, At your presence. When you did awesome things which we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you, who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, for we sinned. We continued in them a long time. And shall we be saved? For all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name. Who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now, all of us are your people Your holy cities have become a wilderness, Zion has become a wilderness, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our fathers praised you, has been burned by fire, and all our precious things have become a ruin. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us beyond measure? As we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, again, just to uh, remind you on the... Uh, back page, uh, page 11, uh, are listed uh, this morning. Just a few prayer concerns, but I do want to call at least one of them to your attention, uh, and that is for our uh, men serving in in the armed services. And as you know, we have several uh, either in our church or are closely connected with our Grace uh, Heritage Fellowship, and we want to continue to remember <clears throat> these uh, these men and their families uh, in our prayers. So. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we have no one we can turn to, for there is no God besides you. You are the creator, ruler, sustainer of the entire universe. Father, that's an awesome statement for us to make, and yet you are sovereign. You rule it all. You control it all, including us. Father, we may... Uh, think often that we have a, a large number of choices in our lives, and yet, Father, you're sovereign. And we, we praise you and thank you for uh, your love for us, your provision for us. We thank you for your provision for our church here, Grace Heritage, and I pray uh, your continued blessings on us as a church. Father, I pray for our pastor in Brazil that you would continue to minister to him that you would continue to protect him and bring him home safely. We pray for Kathy and the kids as they'll be traveling back uh, tomorrow. Ask that you'd watch over them and keep them safe. Father, we do uh, lift up our servicemen uh, who are protecting us around the world, not only those uh, those here in our own church fellowship, but uh, those around the globe who stand Uh, in the gap and protect us on a daily basis father i pray for for those men who belong to you that this would be an opportunity where they stand to be a witness for you to be a uh, a strong uh, tower for you give them grace uh, give them uh, comfort uh, as they're away from their families and uh, particularly bring our uh, loved ones uh, back to us safely father i pray this morning for Larry, as he brings us your word, I pray that you would uh, just continue to minister to him by your Holy Spirit that we might receive the overflow. I, I pray that you would help him to preach with clarity and with boldness. And Father, I pray for us as we hear this morning that you would give us not only ears to hear, but help us not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word as we hear you speak to us. Again, we thank you for all your wonderful blessings for the Great blessings you showered on this church. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: And feeling you did not wait for me
2: to cry out
1: to you, but you let me. the loss did not wait for me to draw near to you But you clothed yourself with bare humanity You did not wait for me to cry out to you But you let me hear your voice calling me And I'm forever forever grateful for the cross, and I'm forever grateful to you that you came to seek and save.
3: Turn with me, if you will, to Second Peter chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 11. Second Peter chapter 1, 3 through 11. Please follow along as we read. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's probably the last time that I will stand before you in a teaching role um, before we move in October. Uh, We're planning on heading out of town probably October 9th, so I wanted to take the opportunity to publicly thank you all for allowing me to serve as an intern here over the last year. Um, it's been very rewarding to learn from godly men and to be surrounded and encouraged and supported by godly uh, a godly fellowship, and so it will not be easy for us to leave. We will miss you guys very much. Um, Paul has spent many hours encouraging me and instructing me Um, And he knows me well enough by now to identify the struggles that I face when I am preparing to stand up here to preach. Um, He knows that, in particular, that I struggle with perfectionism, that I want everything to be just right. Um, And so in true mentor fashion, uh, Paul wrote me an email this week um, to encourage me and challenge me to remind me of a few things that we've talked about based on uh, previous experiences. Uh, even from Brazil, he felt it necessary to remind me of these things. <laughs> uh, I laughed when I read it because he has me pinned. I mean, he, he, put my, he put his finger right on the struggles that I was having even then and even now. <laughs> so um, I want to read you, with permission, a few lines. Uh, he's speaking about my preparation for today. He says, Remember that you won't perfect it. Remember that you can't say everything you know about the passage. Remember that you need to stop gathering data today, that's Tuesday, and start putting it in its final form and finish that by sometime on Friday. Remember to be able to communicate the main point, one main point in a sentence or two. And remember to go to bed at a decent hour with your wife on Saturday evening so you'll be able to present your best physical tools to the Lord on Sunday. (laughs) I struggle with every one of those. (laughs) particularly the last, so please do not tell Paul that I was up till 1.30 wrapping things up. <laughs> um, Peter is essentially doing the very same thing that Paul did in his email here in this letter. He is reminding these Christians of some things. As an aged apostle, as a veteran in the faith, he is reminding them of some very important matters. Looking through the letter, he states his purpose at least two times. You see it in chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Again, in verse, or chapter 3, verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Take heed, brothers and sisters, you and I need to be reminded of these things as well. I believe that Peter has two main objectives throughout the whole letter. One is to encourage growth and maturity among the Christians. And secondly, to warn them of dangers that might threaten or undermine that growth. And these objectives are throughout the letter, but he brings them together at the end in a way that is unmistakable. Look at chapter 3, verses 17 through 18 you therefore beloved knowing this beforehand take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in this passage that we have before us this morning 2 Peter chapter 1 3 through 11 Peter's concern is growth it's as if Peter is showing to us a picture of what the growth process looks like. It's as if he's showing to us a picture or a portrait of a growing Christian. And then, explaining to us what is necessary for that growth to take place. He focuses on two elements, God's work and the Christian's work. About five or six years ago, I took an intro to photography class at a community college. It was an elective. I thought it was going to be fun and easy. Um, And I learned how to develop and print black and white photos. I discovered that it's pretty difficult. Um, After the long and tedious process of simply developing the film, you hope to come up with a nice negative, and then you take the negatives back into the dark room, and you put the negative into, and this is when the printing process begins. You put the negative into an enlarger, that's the machine that basically transfers the image of the negative onto the photo paper. Um, So you, you put the negative in there, and you adjust it, you focus it, you work out all those things, determine how long you need to put light through it, and then you put piece of light-sensitive photo paper into the easel that is below the enlarger. You turn the machine on, and you allow light to filter through the negative onto the piece of paper, and it essentially burns the image onto the paper. Now, there are about a thousand different ways that you can mess up. Too much light, not enough light, too long, not long enough. Um, end up wasting a lot of paper, and it's pretty expensive. It's not like regular paper. Um, But if you know what you're doing, There are some pretty impressive tricks and techniques that you can do to end up with a really cool-looking photo. One of them that particularly intrigues me is called combination printing. It's where you would take two different images, two different photos, two negatives, and you would essentially burn them onto the same piece of paper. So, for instance, you could take a picture of yourself, and then you could take a picture of a beach or a sunset, and you could burn both of those images onto one piece of photo paper, And if you do it skillfully, it will look fairly convincing. Um, So you can take two images and put them onto one. Some people use this to, to put clouds into a picture that doesn't have any clouds. And that's kind of what Peter has done here, because he shows us the photo, the finished photo, of what Christian growth looks like. The photo is God's handiwork. God has masterfully taken these two truths, these two negatives, if you will, and, he, and one is the snapshot of His work. The other is the snapshot of the Christian's work. And deep in the dark room of His eternal purposes, He has skillfully and masterfully combined these two truths together in this passage into one glorious picture. And He has called that picture sanctification. Now many of you know what that means. But let me explain it. In theological terms, we typically think of our salvation from beginning to end as a process The Scriptures speak of each. We generally refer to them as justification, sanctification, and glorification. You might think of your salvation like the course of a sun on any given day. Justification is like the sunrise. From your view of the horizon, it's the beginning. It's where you place faith in Christ. You repent and you believe the gospel. God declares you to be justified, not guilty. The penalty for your sins has been paid for. The wrath of God on your behalf has been removed. And at the end of the day... Like the sunset is like glorification. It's when your life is over, you finally leave this horizon and enter into heaven. There, you will no longer struggle with sin. There, you will be made holy. There, you will be made complete, clothed with the righteousness of Christ. This is what the believer has to look forward to. Sanctification is the entire process in between. From sunrise to sunset. And I think this is what Peter is focusing on in this passage. He's focusing on the entire middle section, the picture of the process in which you, Christian, are growing and becoming like Christ. You're being changed into the image of Christ. What I would like for us to do this morning is to look, or to back up from this final picture and to focus on both of the snapshots that were and are involved in the process of creating this one final picture. God's work in your growth and your work in that growth And then to bring them back together in the way that Peter has done here in this passage to focus on the connections that God has intended there to be between these two truths. So first, let's look at the snapshot of God's work. This is what is provided to you by God. Beloved, be encouraged that God's power, promises, and purposes are provided to see to it that you are growing. That is good news. First, be encouraged that God's power His power provides everything necessary for growth to take place. You see this in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So God has not only provided through Christ everything that is necessary to secure your eternal life. He has also provided all that you will ever need to live godly in the here and now. In the nitty gritty of everyday life. And though it's not explicit in this passage, this work refers to the work of the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus called the helper or the counselor. This provision of divine power, this enabling power of God to live godly, to grow, is given to you, Christian, by God's Spirit working in you. But this is only encouraging to the believer. This power is given only to the Christian. As Peter is writing to, we see it in verse 1, to those who have obtained the faith. You notice in verse 3 that this power is available through the knowledge of Him who called us. That is, through knowing God. Not just knowing facts about God. It has uh, the idea of personal knowledge, relational knowledge. And this is precisely what Jesus told His disciples in John 14, 16 when He spoke about the coming of the Spirit. He promised that the Spirit would come when He left. I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper. To be with you forever, even the Spirit of the, tr- of, sorry, the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. Friends, if you do not know Christ, you have no such power at work in you. You are without power to live in the way that God demands you to live. Rather, you are as Ephesians says, dead in your trespasses, following the course of this world, controlled not by the power of God to be godly but by the power of Satan to be disobedient. You are following the passions of your flesh. To be honest, this passage in this sermon is not really aimed at the non-Christian. It's aimed at the Christian. But I beg non-believers to listen anyway, because my prayer is that as you hear me uh, speak about this process of growing in Christlikeness, your utter hopelessness apart from Christ will be made all the more apparent to you. For the Christian, for you Christian, there is encouragement here. That God provides everything necessary for you to live godly. Secondly, beloved, be encouraged that God's promises, His promises are given to accomplish His purposes. Read in verse 4. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. Now, it's difficult to know whether Peter had specific promises in mind. Certainly, the Old Testament has many promises given to the people of God. Namely, promises of a Savior who would secure salvation for the people of God. Or perhaps this is drawing attention to the promise of the Holy Spirit. That would seem to connect the idea of divine power in verse 3. But whatever Peter has in mind, whether it's specific or just all the promises in general, his point is that um, these promises are precious. They are great and precious promises, namely because they come from God's own glory and excellence. Don't miss that in verse 3 but also precious to you because of what they are designed to accomplish. You see, as he finishes his thought in four, so that through them, that is the promises, you may, and he lists two things. I believe these are two purposes that God has in our growing. First, let's think about each. First, he purposes to make it possible for you to become partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? I believe it means becoming like Christ. Becoming like Christ who is divine. This, you see this idea throughout the New Testament. Romans 8:29 says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. God is molding us into the image of Christ. You see it in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 10 speaking of discipline. God is treating you as sons so that you may share in his holiness. Or 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. We are God's children now, and when He appears, we shall be like Him. This is our hope. This is our hope that God will continue to empower us to grow in godliness in the here and now, and that one day He will perfect that. He will carry it on to completion. He will make us completely like Christ. The process will be complete. In that sense, we will partake or share of His perfectly divine nature. That purpose, though, goes hand in hand with the second which is to make it possible for us to escape corruption, to escape from the corruption. To become more like Christ, more like the divine nature, is to become less sinful. God not only redeems us from the penalty of sin, He also purposes to redeem us from the power of sin. Doesn't it encourage you, believer, to know that God has purposed and promised... To redeem you from the power of sin and accomplish perfection in you. And that he is even now laboring on toward that goal. That is encouraging for us. But there is another aspect of our growth. There is another aspect of our sanctification. And that is our work. So I'd have you consider secondly the snapshot of the believer's work. You see this particularly in verses 5 through 8. This is what God requires of the believer. Beloved, this is what God requires from you. Our work in growing toward Christlikeness is absolutely necessary. We are not called to be idle. Hear what is required God demands hard work. You see in verse 5, he says, Make every effort. Be diligent in this. Labor in this. Give yourself to this. We labor because it is a battle against sin. Following up from the end of verse 4, it's a battle to escape corruption. But notice what it says about that corruption in verse 4. It is corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The corruption is all around us. It is everywhere in this world. But notice from where it originates. It says it originates from sinful desire, that is lust. In other words... It's heart corruption. The reason that the world is corrupt all around us is because there is corruption breeding in the hearts of men all around us. Breeding in our own hearts, beloved. And we are to escape from this. grueling effort is required on our part to fight against sin in our own heart first and also the sin that surrounds us everywhere that we go. And you see the urgency of this particularly when you put it against the backdrop of what is happening uh, in the day of these Christians that Peter is writing to. I said earlier, Peter is writing to encourage growth and to warn about dangers that would threaten growth. The main danger was false teaching. False teachers and false prophets were teaching, essentially, that God had provided ultimate freedom to just live as you please. To do whatever you wanted. God had released them, essentially, from requirements. And things that they needed to do. We see this in chapter 2. Look in verse 2 of chapter 2. They were teaching sensuality. Live by your desires. Peter warns that many will follow their sensuality. Many will be deceived. And as a result, it says, the way of truth, that is what God requires, will be blasphemed. Or in verse 19 of chapter 2. The false teachers promised freedom. But they themselves were slaves to corruption. Believer, do not be deceived that you can simply sit back and let God, and that growth will happen on its own. No, God requires that we make every effort to grow, to escape corruption, not indulge in it. Secondly, God expects there to be continuous growth. Continuous growth. You, you do not get a break. Look at the list of qualities in five through seven: virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, uh, godliness, brotherly affection, love. It's important to realize that this is; these are not a, a list of steps to maturity. This is not; a, these are not ordered stages or phases that we must go through. Um, neither is this an exhaustive list. There are other lists similar to this, but they have different elements or include other things. So this is not an exhaustive list. As if Do these things, and you will have reached it. Peter isn't teaching a higher life perfectionism. The way it's constructed implies that there is continuous growth necessary. You should never be content with where you are in the Christian life. I've heard John Piper refer to this as a holy dissatisfaction. You're always longing for more growth. You're never content where you are. So you're not simply content with self-control. You're also seeking to make every effort to grow in steadfastness. And you're not content with steadfastness. You're seeking to make every effort to grow in godliness and so forth. It's reinforced by what it says in verse 8. These qualities are to be yours. You are to possess each of these. And it says they are to be increasing. They are to be yours and they are to be increasing. You'll never reach a point where you can simply stop. To stop is to go backwards, because it's kind of like swimming upstream. If you take a break, the current will push you back down the river. And when I stop to consider what it is that God requires of us, I don't know about you, but it it seems overwhelming. My initial response is, I can't do that. It was hard for me to get out of bed this morning. (laughs) I'm tired. Um, But that's precisely why it is important to put these two truths together they're not meant to stand in isolation from one another so continuing with the photography imagery we give ourselves thirdly to an admiration of the final picture in order to understand the artist's design and the point with the metaphor is that god is the artist and that he has designed our growth and sanctification in a particular way his design is purposeful it's important that we appropriately understand that both of these are necessary. We dare not neglect either. If we neglect God's power and trust in our own ability, we will become hopeless. We'll end up in some legalistic rut, despairing over our failures because we cannot do it on our own. Christ says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. And if we neglect the challenge that we must work and we must exert ourselves and simply assume that it is hap- will happen on its own, we cheapen God's grace. And we underestimate the deadly power of sin that is in our own hearts. We will be deceived into thinking that all is well when it is not well. Both are necessary, but it's equally important to realize and understand the connections that God has intended for them to have. The intended connections that He has. The way that He has designed these two truths to interact. This passage reveals, I think, some of those connections three of them in particular like to draw your attention to first it is imperative to see that our work our work is in response to god's work god always god's work always precedes ours don't miss the logical connection in verse 5 when it says for this very reason make every effort that is based on his power promises and purposes work God tells us, He encourages us, and we are to respond. His work precedes our work. Philippians chapter 2 is a verse we often quote, verses 12 and 13. It has the same thought process to it, only the ideas are in the opposite order. Work out your own salvation, that's our part, with fear and trembling. Work it out, for, and this is what we are responding to, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You see the response? God requires growth in these qualities because He provides everything necessary for that growth to take place. He's not being unreasonable here. It's not as if He's called us to build a house and not provided us with any lumber or tools. God tells us that we can work hard at pressing after these things because He will reward our efforts. They will not be in vain. So, furthermore, furthermore, the promises and purposes are meant to motivate us, not discourage us. As Peter says, to stir us up. Beloved, God's goals should become our goals. If God purposes that we partake of the divine nature, we should be working hard at growing in Christ-likeness. If God purposes that we are to escape corruption, we are to be making every effort that we are killing sin and escaping from corruption. There is tremendous encouragement for us to give ourselves to these things when we consider that God Himself is giving Himself to these purposes as well. Second connection, our work provides the visible evidence that God's work is real. Our work is the evidence that God's work is real. Peter's exhortation from his teaching on God's work and our work is this in verse 10. Therefore, be diligent to make your calling and election sure. In other words, if you profess to be a Christian, you hope in this eternal life, you need to be absolutely certain. There's no wiggle room. You're either in or you're out of the kingdom. It's a similar idea to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13 5, where he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So, where do you look for evidence? How do you know? Peter's answer at the end of verse 10 is that the evidence is found when you look at your life. Are you practicing these qualities? Have you seen growth in virtue and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection and love? If so, if you see evidence that you're growing in these things, there is grounds for assurance. That you will never fall, as it says in verse 10. That you will be richly provided with an entrance into the eternal kingdom. Of Jesus Christ, verse 11. The implication, of course, is that if you don't see the evidence, there's very little assurance. Now that raises a question. Does that mean, then, that our work secures and sustains our security of our salvation? Does our work secure and sustain our salvation? Is that what Peter means by, if you practice these, you will never fall? No, Peter's not teaching that our work determines our security. We know this by looking at other passages in Scripture, which explains that our ultimate grounds of assurance is based on God's work and not our own. Biblically speaking, it is God who ultimately called us to embrace Christ by His grace. He is responsible for our coming to Christ. We responded to His work. Therefore, what God began, God will finish. The promise this promise is given to us in numerous passages throughout the scriptures. Let me look at but two that are clear. Philippians one six, Paul says, He that is God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. John chapter ten, twenty seven through twenty nine. Jesus says, My sheep will hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. To go back to a metaphor I used earlier, just as surely as God caused the sun to rise, God will cause the sun to set. Thanks be to God. Peter can say that your practicing is a ground, so provides you with assurance, because your practicing of these qualities points to the divine work that is at work in you, causing you to do these things. So Peter, where do we look for evidence? kind of summarize that, and so it doesn't make sense. Where do we look for evidence? Scriptures say that we're to look for God's work, but we can't visibly see God's work. We can't see with our eyes what His eternal purposes are. So Peter directs our attention at the effect of the work. We look to the fruit for evidence. It's kind of like a tree. If you see a thriving tree, there's green, there's covered with fruit or flowers, you know that it's alive, it's evident. It's the same with the believer. If these qualities are gro- of growth are evident in your life, if you're practicing them, you have no need to fear falling because the practice of the qualities is evidence that God is at work in your life conforming you to Christ-likeness. But if you see a tree that has no leaves, no green, no fruit, no flowers, no evidence of life, brown branches beginning to become brittle and falling off, what do you assume? You assume that it's dead. Now, it may very well have life. Barely holding on, perhaps next year you'll begin to see some evidence of life. But you certainly don't presume upon that. You have no assurance that it's alive. So it is the same. Christian, if you do not see, and others do not see, any outward evidence of the life that you claim to have, there, if these qualities are lacking, there is no evidence, there is very little assurance that you're a really Christian. That's a scary place to be. Very scary. But let me qualify that because Peter's purpose is not to undermine the faith of the anxious believer who, who becomes disheartened by their struggle with sin. Peter's purpose is to undermine the carnal Christian who has bought the lie, in a sense, and who has uh, given in, caved in to this, the corruption that is in their heart. They have not strived hard against their sin. They have not given themselves to growing in Christ-likeness. Peter is writing to unsettle those Christians. And so, believer, if that is you, then you need to be unsettled as well. You need to question whether your profession is very real. But my assumption, though, is that not many of us would probably refer to ourselves as dead trees. But probably not many of us would be so bold as to say that we're thriving trees either. Typically, you would probably describe yourself somewhere in between. Because you know and I know that there are seasons where growth is evident. And there are seasons when growth is not so evident. So what does that say about us? What, did you, what do you make of your condition when you can think back and you have some grounds of assurance? Because in the past you saw this extended period of growth and evidence. You're banking on that. There's some grounds of assurance there that you're a Christian. But right now, perhaps the last week or month or year... You've seen very little evidence. You've not been pursuing Christ-likeness. You've not been escaping corruption of the world. What do you make of that? Believer, what do you make of those periods in your life when you feel ineffective or unfruitful? When you do not see much progress being made? I think this is what Peter is getting to in verse 9. When it says, For whoever lacks these qualities, there's no evidence, no assurance, is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. To be completely honest with you, this is very often where I find myself struggling in this. What about you? When you examine your life, when you examine your life in light of these qualities, if you were to do that right now, would you discover that there is very little evidence of virtue or more character? Would you discover that your affections toward knowing Christ and seeking to grow in knowledge of Christ that is weak, When you discover that your self-control is lacking, that you easily give in to lusts, when suffering or hardship comes, you crumble because there is no steadfastness, that your godliness looks more like the world than it does like God, or that you care very little about your brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no brotherly affection. And love, you love yourself more than others. Does this describe you? In those times when we struggle in that way, what's the problem? What has gone wrong? I believe that Peter would tell us that we have overlooked the importance of faith. So it brings me to the third and final crucial connection. Faith is necessary to keep our work aligned with God's work, for us to become in line with what God's purposes are. I believe we misunderstand. I know I do often. I have struggled to understand the role of faith in sanctification. Our tendency is to think of faith as that which... Um, initiates our salvation and then we move on to other elements of the Christian walk as if faith were simply the ticket that got us into the show we received it we gave it to the man at the gate and now we're on our way but that's not how the Bible speaks of faith Romans 17 says that the righteous shall live by faith 2 Corinthians five seven, the Apostle Paul says that he walks by faith when we look at this passage we're tempted to miss the emphasis on faith look back at verse 5 this is interesting Peter doesn't list for us eight qualities to grow in. He lists seven to build onto faith. Faith is the foundation that we are building onto. We're building these other qualities. I must have read over that 20 times in my preparation. And I was sitting down. I started a new book, um, Future Grace by John Piper. And all of a sudden, it just clicked. I went back. I looked at the passage. Wrote some things down. Begin to see faith this importance, this emphasis here on faith. So anything basically that I say from now until I stop in just a couple minutes or a minute or two, um, if it's of any worth, it's probably at least spurred on by that work. I commend the work to you, Future Grace, by John Piper. Faith is the primary means of connecting our work to God's work. We only grow up in these qualities if the foundation of faith is rooted in the power, promises, and purposes of God. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for. That is, in other words, faith is looking forward to and banking our trust on the promises of God. We hope in them with confidence. In this passage, Peter told us in 3 and 4 that God is holding out promises to us of divine power to make us like Christ, to help us escape corruption, it takes faith on our part to believe those things to be true and then to act on them by responding with every effort. You see the connection there. It requires that we believe God, that we trust Him. If we stop trusting God, if, we stop, if, if faith is not there, is it any wonder that we begin to struggle with virtue or self-control? can't build on something that's not there. So when you find yourself lacking in these qualities, when you see little evidence, you feel ineffective or unfruitful. The problem is that you have failed to keep God's promises before your eyes. Verse 9 says that if you lack these qualities, you are nearsighted or blind. The problem is not so much that your faith is weak, but that it's misdirected. We become distracted by what is around us. We lose that attentive gaze on God and His purposes in our life. And the promises that he gives to us to grow us, we become distracted by the corruption that is around us. We become nearsighted. We can't see the things that are far off. We're distracted and we choose to focus our attention on what is around us. We become enticed by the corruption and we give in to it. Our ineffectiveness or unfruitfulness shows that our faith is not where it should be. Instead of trusting God and his power and his promises, we find ourselves tempted to trust the power of sin and the promise of sin. Essentially, um, I'm sorry, to back up, Peter carries the imagery further when he says that we're blind. Blind to what God has done for us in the past. You see that. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Blind also to what God is trying to do or, or is doing in the future. That he is carrying that cleansing to perfection. Carried on to completion at the day of Christ. Essentially, blind to the gospel. We have forgotten, when we do not see evidence of these qualities, we have forgotten the gospel. And we have forgotten God's purposes and his promises to us to make us like Christ and to help us escape corruption. So here's the challenge. Let me paraphrase Peter in verse 12. Christian, this is nothing new to you. You know this. You've been told it before. In fact, you put your trust in this. You know it's true. But I desire to remind you. I desire to remind you of these things. Therefore, when you see yourself struggling in sin, when you see that you are lacking these qualities, that you are lacking faith, remind yourself of the gospel. Remember that you must... Embrace by faith the truth that God in His divine power gives you everything you need to grow and to resist sin. You're not helpless. God has provided divine power for you to be victorious. Remember that you must believe the promise and power of God more than you believe the promise and power of sin. That God's promises hold more reward for you than the fleeting pleasures of sin. Remember that you must by faith give yourselves wholly every ounce of God-given energy to pursue these things and to grow in these qualities. And remember finally that you will always need to be reminded of these things again and again and again. You have been reminded. I pray you would Give yourselves to a moment of reflection to consider perhaps these qualities, areas, but all all of us are not where we ought to be in the Christian walk. We all struggle with sin, and I pray that through searching these scriptures, considering them throughout the week and now for a moment, God would perhaps reveal something in particular that you might trust the gospel and believe Him there and make every effort. I'll close us in prayer. A minute. Oh God, we do believe you. We believe your promises and your purposes to be true. God, help our unbelief. Help us to trust you more tomorrow, today when the temptation comes. That we would bank on what it is that you promised to us. We would resist sin and that we would grow into the image of Christ. God, help us. Help us in this, I pray. In Christ's name.
0: As our young men are making their way forward for our time of offering, uh, remind us what a great honor and privilege it is for us to be able to give of the first fruits of our wealth back to the Lord, who owns it all anyway. The cattle upon a thousand hills are his. And we have this time of giving as an expression of our thanks.
1: Please stand with me and sing. Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow. to know To follow hard after you, to know and follow hard after you, to grow as your disciple in your truth. This world is empty, pale, and full compared to knowing you, my.
0: gather again at eleven fifteen for a uh, discussion of the sermon that larry will uh, leave for us and i'll close this with a word from second peter but grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity amen you're dismissed Thank you for listening. Grace Heritage Church meets in Auburn, Alabama. Services are held at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday morning at the Best Western on the corner
1: of college and university.